G'day, welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast. I'm Graham Curry, your host from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilos or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle, and I successfully maintained that weight loss now, coming up two years. I wanted to bring this series of podcasts to you to give you an insight into what it's like to living an intermittent fasting lifestyle. I'm also the author of the book, The Fasting Highway, which is a story of my journey overcoming chronic addiction to fast food and sugar and taking that walk from morbid obesity to normality. So sit back here with us on the Fasting Highway in the next few weeks and listen to some inspiring guests and some experts in the intermittent fasting community. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the show. G'day. Welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast and this is episode 92. And just before we get to today's guest, I just wanted to give a big shout out to everybody out there that's been supporting the podcast and me uh, by buying my book, The Fasting Highway, my own journey and story. Uh, It's been very heartwarming. Thank you. And yes, it does help keep this podcast commercial free. Um, So if you do enjoy the podcast, that's the way you can help me keep it commercial free by doing that. So thank you to all that have been doing that. Uh, Okay, this week I'm going to be joined by Kirsty Connor. And Kirsty is a 39-year-old from Melbourne, Australia. And Kirsty's a busy mum to two amazing young boys. And Kirsty works part-time as an occupational therapist. And Kirsty struggled with her weight most of her life, as long as she can remember, and was always that much bigger than her friends. And her journey since then has been truly remarkable, and I'll let her relay that in this podcast. Her weight loss has just been simply sensational. So here to tell us all about that is Kirsty Connor. Oh, g'day, Kirsty, and welcome to the Fasting Highway, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I was quite humbled to be invited, really. Oh, no worries. The pleasure's all mine, and uh, all the way there from Melbourne, Australia, and uh, we all wish everybody in Melbourne well. And so, Kirsty, for those that don't know you listening to this podcast around the world, if you wouldn't mind just explaining a bit of your backstory and any issues you had with weight in your life and health and that sort of thing, and, and how you actually found your way to intermittent fasting. Sure. So my weight is something that I've always struggled with ever since I was young. I remember, you know, um, everyone saying, oh, it's just puppy fat. It'll go away. You know, when I was even in, you know, before I even hit my teens um, and it never did. Um, it kept kept coming and, um, yeah, it was just something that I always struggled with. So it was always conscious of it, was always, you know, the bigger friend amongst all my friends and, you know, sat around eating what I thought was the the healthy choices, um, you know, while they ate whatever they liked um, and still I was always the bigger one in the group. Um, So I had, you know, success in losing weight on a number of occasions, you know, quite a significant amount of weight on a number of occasions, but always I regained it and then some. Um, so yeah, it's just been something that I've always felt like, you know, there's just something wrong with me. There's, I just can't shift the weight and keep it off. Um, so yeah, it's, it's always been a struggle for me. Yeah. And so just when did you come to intermittent fasting and how did you actually find out about it? I had a friend, um, who had tried Michael Mosley's fast 800 diet, um, and she had some success in the early days. And she shared one week of a recipe plan with me. And I think, you know, 
I felt obliged to, you know, it's been the book had sat on my bedside table for, you know, a year or something and I hadn't picked it up. Um, and then when she gave me this meal plan, I thought, right, I'm going to do this with you. So I read the book all in the space of, you know, a couple of days and kind of went, wow, this, you know, this really resonates with me. Um, and these new tools that I've not come across before, as far as fasting goes, um, I'm going to give this a crack. Um, and yeah, I, I lost quite a bit of weight in a short space of time, just sort of starting out on that, um, kept going with that for a while. Um, and you know then did some more learning and some more research and some more reading and got right into it um and soon sort of adapted my own way of doing things as a combination of a few different styles yeah and so when you started how did you start what what was your fasting protocol what were you doing i started with a really simple 12 12 and that was just too easy so i very quickly kind of moved to 16 8 i found fasting quite natural i found it really easier not to eat than to decide what to eat um, and felt less restricted despite the fact that, you know, I was eating less. Um, but when I was eating, you know, I was able to enjoy those meals um, a little bit more within my window. So, you know, soon enough, I just naturally started to extend uh, that fasting sort of period out and pretty quickly I came to sort of a 23-1 um, and I was just doing one meal a day and was finding that, um, you know, quite easy, really. Surprisingly, I thought, oh, my goodness, the idea of not eating for 23 hours in a day, that sounds almost impossible. Um, but it was a lot more natural and a lot easier than I ever expected it to be. Yeah, and do you remember when you first started? What, what was the time frame when you started? Yeah, 12-12. Um, moved, no, I mean, the moved. date you started. Oh, the 1st of June, um, 2020. I remember that um, quite clearly. It's a bit of a milestone for me, I think. Um, we were just entering the beginning of sort of one of the first big Melbourne lockdowns. Um, I was working from home with two little kids and um, I don't know whether maybe it just gave me a little bit of control over one thing in my day that, um, you know, that I otherwise felt like I'd sort of lost. And yeah, it became a real focus to sort of do something for me. I started walking a lot during that time and that became an escape and that all kind of went hand in hand with starting this journey and, and getting some more exercise in. And yeah, from the 1st of June, 2020 was where I started to change my life. Great. So you've been doing it about 15 months now and you started this in the midst of the pandemic and Melbourne, as we know, is one of the most locked down cities in the world. In fact, it's heading to the title of the most locked down city in the world very shortly. And the stresses around that and being a mum and everything else that was going on, did you find that difficult to cope with or did you just take the attitude, I'm just going to control what I can control? Honestly, I think it's what partly has helped me get through. It's it's given me some positivity amongst the negativity. It's given me something to focus on for myself and be excited about as I saw the weight shift. Um, and, you know, the exercise has is um you know my evening walks late at night in the dark in the melbourne cold um is just you know something that i now wonder how i ever live without yeah you mentioned here you're a mum of two children as well and and did you find that difficult when starting an intermittent fasting journey preparing kids meals all day and then you know kids are constantly always wanting something to eat hey mum wants to eat especially when you're working from home and the kids are there and you're trying to homeschool and everything else did you find that difficult preparing meals for them 
I think definitely the, the phrase that I've heard most in the last um, 18 months is I'm hungry. <laughs> and, you know, part of me kind of wants to say, you know, tell me about it. Um, but preparing their meals, um, I mean, I was so used to not eating at the times that they would eat, which is basically constantly anyway. Um, I actually didn't f- find it too badly. I made a couple of, you know, accidental mistakes sometimes where something was in my mouth mindlessly before I even realized I was doing it and then oh um, I'm not eating at the moment and um, you know made a few mistakes like that but um, it was just really something switched in me and I was making a choice for me and I found preparing food really actually not that bad because um, I was just feeling so motivated by my success. Yeah that's fantastic so let's talk about your stats now Kirsty. when you started uh, if you don't mind sharing um, what your weight was and, and sort of and what it is now, sort of 15 months later, what's been the difference and what was that weight loss looking like for you? So I weighed in at 130 kilos, um, which I did write down my pounds there for those of us who don't don't speak in kilos. Um yeah, so 130 kilos um, at, at around, I'd actually lost a little bit of weight already when I discovered fasting. Um, so I started at 123 on the first, 123.3, I remember quite clearly, on the 1st of June. Um, and I am 170 centimetres tall. Um, and come sort of December around Christmas 2020, so a good sort of six months on, I had dropped down to my lowest weight of 71.8 kilos um, and, you know, that was that was just shy of 60 kilo weight loss in six months. Wow, that's amazing. 60 kilos in six months, 132 pounds. So you started there around 260. Your highest weight was up around 286 pounds there at the 130 kilo mark. And then you dropped that sort of 60 kilos in six months, 132 pounds. That is truly amazing. I dropped 60 kilos myself, as you may know, and um, that took me 15 months. So that's motoring. So you're talking about there a weight loss of around 10 kilos a month or 20 pounds. It was just falling off you, basically. It was quite exciting to emerge out of the Melbourne lockdown. You know, it went kids back to school and stuff and people not even recognising me, even my, my kids' friends and things, you know, just saying, who are you? <laughs> um, so it was fun to come out the other side, um, you know, so quickly and so dramatically. Um, and, yeah, it did. It literally just fell off me and I, I and I couldn't believe it. I mean, it certainly wasn't through lack of trying or lack of motivation, Um but, you know, I was definitely working hard at it, but it was working and, and I understood why and I really got into the science behind it um, and that was an extra motivator for me coming from sort of a science background as an occupational therapist. Um, you know, the the ins and outs of, of the science really um, gave me extra reason for the choices that I was making and understanding as, as to why I was having such success and to turn around and, you know, go back to those old ways would, you know, logically mean that I would go back to the same struggles that I've previously had. Let's talk about those old ways for a minute. I mean, previous life to IF, give us a sort of picture of what your sort of life was like with food and your relationship and that sort of thing and any issues you think you may have had. What sort of led you up to sort of that weight? Look, I think I was always conscious of what I was eating and always tried to sort of, you know, make the better choices within the traditional realms of, you know, low fat, 
um, you know, moderate protein, high carb within the, you know, the the food triangle pyramid as we're all familiar with. Um, you know, I, I tried stints in the past of low carb and that's been when I've had success, um, but I never really kind of understood the whys behind that. It just worked. And then, you know, I'd go off the diet and, and back to, you know, being a little bit more relaxed about what I was doing, but still feeling like I was making good choices and either I couldn't keep shifting the weight or it'd, it'd creep back. So I lost um, almost 50 kilos prior to falling pregnant with my first son. Um, and I did that through exercising like a maniac, boot camping, running, was fitter than I'd been in my entire life. And I swore never again would I, you know, go back to kind of where I was. And then two healthy boys later and, you know, um, the struggles of weight gain in pregnancy and breastfeeding and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, I stacked a good, you know, 50, 58 kilos or something back on on top of that 50 kilos that I'd lost and was devastated because I just swore never again. But it's just still really felt like it was out of my control. I was constantly hungry, particularly, you know, um, breastfeeding the first one and it was real hunger coming out the other side of what I had done before and um, and I just couldn't seem to satiate that. Um, and I, I guess there's been points in my life where I've just kind of thrown my hands in the air and, and given up because it didn't seem to matter what I did or how I did it despite my awareness and my food choices and, you know, they weren't always perfect either and I think some of that um, was often a bit of denial. Um, you know, it wasn't fair and I'd, I'd externalised all of those um, kind of reasons why I just seemed to gain weight while, while, you know, everyone around me seemed to be able to eat whatever they liked. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's really changed my, um, my hunger, my perception of that, the way that I deal with that. Um, and fasting has definitely given me, you know, and, and my understanding of the science behind it has, has really given me a tool that I feel I'll always be able to use. Yeah, we all have those annoying friends, don't we? They they eat whatever they want and they never go to the gym and they always look ripped and they always look fit. And, you know, you sort of look at them and you think, well, how come you can do that and I can't? And we always say never compare to others. And I think that's a really important message with an IF lifestyle too. Never make a comparison to myself or Kirsty or anybody else. Just do you for you. But I want to talk about the science you mentioned there. And I know that's important to you coming from that medically trained background and that sort of thing, that inquisitive mind. What sort of did you delve into and did you get the message of that clean fast with intermittent fasting straight away? Yeah, look, I guess the science behind it for me was um, just understanding the role of insulin um, and, you know, what that means when your insulin is constantly high. You know, I've, I've had tests and, and things come back to say that I was insulin resistant, but no one had ever made the connection for me as to, you know, the answer being to bring the insulin level down and fasting is so effective at doing that. Um, and, you know, and pair that as I have done um, with a low carb sort of ketogenic style diet um, means that I'm, you know, I'm stopping those constant spikes in insulin. And, you know, for those who are not familiar with that, that, um, you know, when you've got insulin resistance, it means that your insulin levels are constantly high and that makes it impossible to access stored fat, but it also makes all the energy that you take in store as fat. So you're in this constant cycle of fat storage and not being able to spend, you know, what's in the bank. Um, 
So that experience of mine of, you know, sort of not really mattering what I'm doing as long as my insulin is, is high, um, I'm storing fat and I can't burn it. So I'm, I'm stuck in this cycle of gaining weight. I love that. Can't spend what's in the bank. Exactly right. And um, I think it's really important to clean fast message, isn't it? And um, I know there's some sort of, you know, some people say, oh, well, you, I could have a bit of this or I could have a bit of that. And I always say to people, well, look, I just put it simply as this. You're either fasting or you're not. And that's the mm. way it is. Because, and especially if you want to add something to a beverage like coffee, you want to put cream in. I always say to people, why would you let a beverage get in the way of your health goals? So that's really great that you got that message of the clean fast from the start. You mentioned near your eating window, um, that low-carb ketogenic lifestyle. Was that something you sort of did from the start or were you eating all the things at the beginning? I started, as I mentioned, following the Fast 800 diet, which is, you know, low-erg carb, sort of a Mediterranean-style diet, um, but, you know, still, um, you know, things like sweet potatoes and some of those things that you'd avoid on that stricter lower-carb. Um, but really just real whole foods has kind of been my focus, avoiding processed stuff. Um, I really pretty much cut out sugar altogether, um, which – I'm surprisingly hasn't been as hard as I would have thought it was. You know, if I'd had that conversation with me and the choices that I've made um, that I've just been motivated to make through my success, I would have said, no way can I do that. Um, But I have and I did and I still am. um, And it's just become a new way of eating. And, you know, I think that one thing I've learned about myself during this time is that I am definitely an abstainer. Um, rather than a moderator, um, once I have a little bit, I, c- I struggle to stop. It's easier for me to, to not have it at all than it is for me to just have a little bit and, and you know, be okay with that. I just, um, I'm a one way or the other. So I feel like it's a bit of a slippery slope, even in from a maintenance perspective, to start introducing some of those little things. And it's certainly what I've experienced when I've regained weight in the past is that you just let a little bit in and then a little bit in and then all of a sudden, you know, some bad habits are kicking in and, you know, it's a it's a slippery slope. It is, and it can creep up on you real quick too. I mean, you might put on, say, 300 grams or 400 grams a day. But then you think about that, that's two kilos a week. That's, you know, all of a sudden, boom, bang, six months, you're 25 kilos up. And um, that's why it's really important to keep a lid on that sort of thing. And It's interesting you mentioned there about the sugar and how you were able to get on top of that. And as you know, I was a sugar and fast food addict and people always say to me, there's no way I can kick sugar. There's no way that's impossible, but you can. And that's, that's the message you can, if you want to. And that's the mindset thing, isn't it? So just tell us some of the things around what you were doing, like taking that sugar out of your diet. What were you doing there? I I was following sort of fairly closely, you know, a, a fairly, restrictive meal plan that was quite calorie restricted as well um you know only eating 800 calories a day at the time um and so naturally you know there wasn't a lot of sugar in those meal plans either and um you know I found it quite easy to be able to just kind of follow that and I I spent a lot of time putting some energy into shopping lists and meal plans and um you know soon found that I was quite you know satiated on that type of food and I wasn't getting obviously you know the glucose spikes and the insulin spikes that kind of went with it so I wasn't kind of getting those real hunger dips and things as well um and I think for me I really noticed a a massive difference in my inflammation within my entire body um I struggled really badly with 
sort of pelvic inflammation and things after pregnancies um, and then, you know, tried everything to keep the exercise going after my weight loss from the first one and, and you know, just kept, if I was swimming, my shoulders would be inflamed. If I was walking, it would be my hips. If I was trying to run again, it was my knees. And, you know, I just kind of had this cycle of chronic inflammation. I was seeing rheumatologists. I was seeing everyone to try and kind of get on top of this and eventually listened to a physio that said to me, you just need to stop exercising for a little while and let that inflammation settle. And that's the worst thing I could have done because my weight went up, my inflammation continued to go up. Everybody's answer was lose weight, move more. You know, I was trying to do that. It wasn't that simple. Um, and then I did it. And I think cutting sugar certainly helped with um, the inflammation and and it's just gone. I I can't believe um, the difference in the way that my body feels. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And I can really resonate with it because I know what a difference it made to me. And just things like that inflammation, I mean, you know, arthritic pain I had in my fingers, all these sorts of things were just going away. And it was just taking that toxic sort of all those sugars out of my body. And I can't really say that I'd be zero sugar because I, I find it really hard to get to zero sugar because nearly every food of some type has got some type of sugar, whether it be fruit or natural sugar or wherever it may be. But you certainly can avoid the sort of ones that you know and the bakery type sugars, the slices, the cakes, all that. That's easy. But it's when you go to the supermarket and you pick something up and you look at it and it's in a packet and you read the back of it and it might say 99% sugar free, but then you read all the exitols dextrone, all that sort of thing, all those artificial sugars. Did you learn, obviously, in your occupation, you know about nutrition anyway, did you learn about those nutrition labels along your way? Look, not not through my um, occupation, but um, certainly just through my own education and reading and things like that. And, you know, I certainly still do use um, some sugar replacements with um, like monk fruit and, and stevia and things like that to to make, um, you know, a sweet treat um, from time to time. But generally I'm avoiding the processed stuff that's got a, you know, a, a huge list of ingredients and, you know, every third one ends in oats, <laughs> even though they're telling you that it's sugar-free, that it's all, you know, just loaded full of a whole heap of stuff that you can't read. Um, and, yeah, you know, really learning to read the labels and becoming really quite surprised at the sugar content in many of them. Um, you know, especially when sugar is high in that ingredients list, even things like bacon, you know, you just, you just don't expect there to be sugar added. And there's plenty of options on the supermarket shelves that don't have that. And it's just reading those labels and, and cutting out those hidden sugars and things where possible to, um, you know, to just have that success and you can still enjoy lots of fantastic foods. Exactly. Once you know that education and you, you know about it, you a quick look and you'll be able to tell yourself straight away. It's just like sausages, right? You pick up sausages and they vary so much in carbs, it's not funny. And so if you sort of pick a lower carb one or something like that, that's great. But I want to talk about that Fast 800 and how that sort of compares to IF. And do you find intermittent fasting a bit more flexible to that in terms of what you can eat and all that sort of thing? Yeah, look, it's it's quite similar, I guess. I mean, you could have you could do the fast eight hundred. Um, basically, the fast eight hundred is calorie restriction within an eating window, um, and still avoiding snacks and things in between. So, um, you know, depending on how long you your fasting and eating windows are, you know, initially I was doing two meals a day, um, and having eighteen, sorry, eight hundred calories within those two meals. Um, so lunch and dinner generally, um. 
and you know I was just having such success and listening more and and learning more about the IF side of things which is certainly part of the fast 800 diet but you know it's also very um, concentrated around calorie counting and things like that um, so I did sort of they recommend that as a 12 week kind of um, period that you do the the calorie restriction at the 800 calories for and then switch to sort of a 5-2 or something like that where you're fasting two days a week and eating normally for five. I didn't do that. Um, I never got to that point. I just stopped counting calories and started eating intuitively um, to satiation, um, learnt to identify those cues. Most of the time I was doing one meal a day um, sort of 23-1, not snacking, you know, pre or post, it was literally just one decent meal. Um, started to get a bit concerned that maybe my calories were too low um, once I'd sort of, you know, come closer to reaching my goals and started to add, you know, a bit of an entree and maybe a little dessert or something to, to try and sort of pack a few more calories in, um, worried about what I might potentially be doing to my metabolism by eating too few calories all the time. Um, and yeah, I just kind of ended up doing a combination of that, um, you know, dropped dropped the carbs from the Mediterranean style diet as well and, and got a bit stricter with that um, and just found that I really enjoyed that way of eating and that um, I, was, I wasn't feeling deprived like I have in the past when I've been on diets and lived on salads and, and protein and, you know, no fat. Um, the fat, you know, feels naughty. It feels like something that you shouldn't be eating, and it feels like you, you know, you're still allowing yourself to have the stuff that you um, otherwise maybe shied away from on traditional kind of diet programs. Yeah, I agree, and that's I find intermittent fasting is quite flexible, isn't it? And you know, we do. You don't even the great thing I love about it. I'm not counting anything. I'm not sort of having to write stuff down. I just eat to. I'm satisfied in a period of time, I mean, that may be 23 and one or 22 and two during the week. Then on the weekends now and maintaining, I do that 16 and eight. And I love that because I'm able to have that flexibility of going for lunch with my wife on the weekends and open up that social aspect. But I don't want to talk about that uh, weight loss here, the 60 kilos. I mean, things like it must mentally like clothing, identity issues, like, you know, losing that amount of weight in such a quick time, being in lockdown. How did you get on for clothing? And also, did you find that you'd walk past a reflection and go, wow, who is that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I still get caught by myself sometimes. Um, oh, no, that's me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, I went down and bought whole wardrobes um, on my way through. Thankfully, I wasn't really going too far, so it was just a few pairs of jeans and a few different tops and, and getting away with things being a bit baggy, you know, living at home and not seeing anybody much in isolation. Um, but, you know, I always thought that that as I went down in my sizes, I started at a size sort of 22, 24, um, you know, was really excited to buy some size 20s. Then I started buying 18s and then 16s and 16s. I thought, right, I'm, you know, I, I've always said if I could be a, a size 16, I'd be happy with that. And then all of a sudden the 16s were too big and, you know, then I was in 14s. You know, I'm, I'm buying size 8 jackets and stuff now. And to me, that just blows my mind. I never, ever thought that that was possible for me. Um so, yeah, I'm in a size sort of 10 pants and, and 8 to 10 tops now and um, looking forward to the shops opening again so I can actually get out and, and buy myself some new summer wardrobe. Look out, Melbourne. And as we know, <laughs> Melbourne, the 
one of the capital cities of the world when it comes to shopping. Fantastic shopping, fantastic food. It's one of the most vibrant cities. And I can't wait for you guys to get out of lockdown too so I can come over there. But um, <laughs> I want to talk about things like appetite correction now. We mentioned that in an intermittent fasting lifestyle. Did you find that you found appetite correction come for you? And when did that come? I think it actually came fairly quickly. And I honestly believe that that is related to the the rise and fall with everything that I was experiencing with, you know, blood sugars and insulin levels and, and things like that. Um, and just the type of real food that I was eating um, was naturally more satiating and, and wanting to make better choices because I felt good. Um, you know, what I was putting in my body was obviously more of what my body needed and, and I was feeling satisfied more readily um and you know some days I'd be ravenous at lunchtime and go do you know what I'm gonna have a a second meal today instead of sticking strictly to my one meal a day because my body's telling me you're hungry and it feels like real hunger and I, I felt like I could really differentiate between that head hunger and that you know really below the waist hunger where it's you know rumbling around in your tummy and you're actually feeling really hungry um I did push through that in the earlier days when I was really kind of on my my weight loss um, side of things. But, you know, as I sort of, you know, reached my goals and, and I was hungry, I ate lunch. Um, but, you know, I ignored the signals that I was getting in between times. I certainly still was never snacking. Um, and, you know, um, sometimes I'd find that I was really hungry at lunchtime. I'd eat lunch and then come dinner time, I wasn't hungry. So I didn't make myself eat that second meal unless I wanted it. Um, whereas once upon a time, all it's dinner time, you know, it's, it's six o'clock, it must be time to eat. I, I stopped working by the clock and started working by my own hunger signals and yeah, um, was in tune for that for the first time ever. And, you know, I, I came from a place of basically if there was food, I'd eat it, um, whether I was hungry or not, or, you know, eat to the point of feeling so full, I was, you know, almost sick. Um, having indigestion and things like that, all of that just went out the window um, along with the weight. And now I eat when I'm hungry. And when I'm not hungry, I don't. Yeah, I think that's that intuitive eating, isn't it? You come to that point where you, after a while on an intermittent fasting journey, you sort of learn and you certainly develop that knowledge of listening to your body and that head hunger versus the body hunger. I always say to people, there's two types of hunger. There's mental hunger. And then there's that belly hunger. The mental hunger is when you walk past a bakery and go, oh, my God, I'm so hungry I could eat the horse and chase the rider. And then there's that belly hunger where some days you don't feel that great or you just you can't get rid of that feeling no matter what you do. You drink water, you try to distract yourself, and it's just gnawing away at you. And sometimes you've got to listen to your body and open your window because, yeah, you need to eat at that point. But also, I wanted to talk to you about things like, uh, have you had any doctor's visits, like going to get blood results or anything like that? How have they been going for you? Yeah, so um, I always had, you know, this lingering kind of um, liver function kind of stuff that was off, um, you know, kind of query fatty liver, um, you know, but obviously I wasn't a drinker, um, you know, all of the, the other reasons for fatty liver. Um, again, seem to have sort of been linked back to to insulin levels and and all that kind of stuff. So within three months on my weight loss journey, I had reversed that. Um, all of my fun, you know, I've always had something come back, be it inflammatory markers or um, you know just something sitting not quite right or borderline not quite right. Um, 
and um yeah that's all that's all coming back completely normal now so reverse my fatty liver um and you know certainly I mentioned before about inflammation and joint pain and you know that's all gone um and yeah just some really significant um health benefits I you know I've got a lot of diabetes in my family and even though I wasn't you know measuring as pre-diabetic or anything like that I still think that that the choices that I've made over the last 18 months have certainly changed my trajectory as to where I was headed um, with all the, the liver function stuff that I was having, insulin resistance, you know, it was all, it was all preparing me for a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. Yeah, so you took some steps to prevent that and you took stock of your health, which I think is great. But also we, we talk about struggles with intermittent fasting too because we always talk about the positive aspects and how great it is and all that. But occasionally there is a couple of struggles. And I mean, you lost an immense amount of weight, but was there anything that you sort of were struggling to adapt with or was it all pretty plain sailing? I found it hard when people started asking, oh my goodness, how did you do it? Um, That unless they really wanted to have, you know, if they were really asking to understand, then, you know, people understood it. But if, if they were just asking um, you know, from that superficial kind of a level, I felt that if you mentioned fasting, they were like, oh, you're not eating. Um, you know, and then there was a bit of judgment behind the the fasting as an unhealthy way of losing weight, but not wanting to really understand the reasons why it's so not, not you know, unhealthy. It is, is such a healthy way and such a natural way um, of getting on top of things. Um, so I think I just found that, um, you know, I would um, superficially kind of answer that question to a lot of people. And if people were really kind of, you know, wanting to dive in and understand more than all the way, you know, then I would certainly tell them about IF and, and, and how that's worked for me. Yeah. And I guess people do sort of, I think that's people's own sort of, you know, how to deal with it when they see somebody like yourself, they lost 60 kilos in six months. That's like crazy amount of weight in that time to lose. And all of a sudden you look at them and you go, Wow, what's wrong with that person? What's are they sick or they they had some operation or what's going on? They can't get their head around, so they're trying to make up their own minds what's going on. And some people can be judgmental. And I always say to people, look, when people judge you, just end a conversation with, hey, okay, if I can't convince you, you do you for you, and I'll do me for me. And that's the way it is, because we all have to live our life for ourselves and for our own health goals. And we can't sort of conform to other people's opinions and attitudes. And that's what I think the intermittent fasting lifestyle does for you. It gives you that convincing that what you're doing is going to help you extend your life and live a great life. So good luck to you with that. Also, you mentioned there before about exercise. You were taking the walks in lockdown, that sort of thing. And you, you, you were a crazy exerciser back in the day and doing boot camps and all that sort of thing. What sort of exercise do you do now with your intermittent fasting? So I still walk every single night, um, you know, once the kids are in bed um, and now I'm limited in how long I can do that for due to the curfew of 9pm, which, you know, out of all the stuff that I've had to deal with um, during Melbourne lockdowns, it's been the curfew that has really upset me um, on both occasions. It's nine o'clock at the moment. Uh, the last one was eight o'clock, which was when I would normally be leaving and I was most upset about not being able to get out for my evening walks. My husband works long hours and it was my only chance to kind of get out on my own. So, yeah, still walking. Um, I mean, at one stage I was doing up to 20Ks a day. Um, these days I do anywhere between sort of 5 and 10 a day um, and I don't tend to miss a day of the week. And it's not so much about 
getting out there. It's it's a headspace for me. Um, it's when I listen to my podcast. It's where I've done most of my learning. Um, you know, on this journey, not having time to read and walk and look after kids and work from home. Um, so it was kind of you know killing two birds with one stone. Get out, listen, get motivated, um, have that headspace, and get me through. That's crazy, isn't it? Nine PM curfew. Who would have ever thought that 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 would actually ever happen? You know, and I'm here in Western Australia, which is on the west coast of Australia, by the way. Uh, Kirsty's over on the eastern seaboard in Victoria, uh, Melbourne, as capital city of Victoria, and they've been in lockdown for some time now, and now they've got a curfew and everything. And I would find that very mentally challenging myself, and um, I hope that really comes off pretty soon for you. But I wanted to circle back there about the health benefits and NSVs you talked about. And I mean, I want to really stress in this podcast, and you and I have lost a lot of, amount, a lot of weight, right? But let's talk about how freeing this is to actually get that weight off mentally and the things that you can do now that you couldn't do before. And what are you looking forward to doing the most that you've got all this weight off now? For me, I just feel free to be me for the first time in forever honestly you know without feeling like I'm making up for something or compensating for something I felt like most of my life I've been able to you know do what I've set out to achieve and weight loss was one thing that I just couldn't seem to get right or I'd get there and then I'd be even more ashamed by regaining the weight and um you know I I think that I started to compensate for that in some ways by you know, doing more and more in other spaces to make it okay or, you know, for, for it to be that one that one part of me that just wasn't right. If I was perfect in every other way, then it wouldn't matter. Um, it just doesn't matter anymore and, and I feel so much freer to unapolog- unapologetically just be myself. Um, you know, I feel less judged. I feel like people take me more seriously and I know that a lot of that is probably in my mind and it's not necessarily how others perceive me. But to me, People didn't, you know, take me as seriously um, because of my weight. Um, and, yeah, it's still a struggle to see myself that way as well in, in many ways um, and to accept that. Um, but just the freedom that comes with not feeling like I'm living my life from the sidelines, um, you know, stepping back when, you know, something's going on or just, every part of me wanting, you know, I've always been a, a bit of an adrenaline junkie and wanting to kind of be in things and part of things and the life of the party. And there was just something about my weight that made me reserve myself from what I really, truly wanted to do. And now I'm all in. <laughs> I just, um, you know, running with the kids, um, you know, I, I spent years not being able to get in and clean the leaves out of the trampoline with them because I couldn't fit through the door. Um, now I'm in there jumping on the trampoline and they think it's amazing, um, just loving me being more present and, and more capable um, and just part of my life. Yeah, it's so great and so free. And how old are your children? I have a just turned five and just turned eight-year-old. Yeah, well, that's great because, you know, they've only just started their school life basically. And I, I always you might have heard me talk about this before. I really regret my children's school life, my two daughters. They're now... Uh, 19 and 21 and I sort of through their school years being an obese dad I wasn't partaking I wasn't you know going in the parents swimming races I wasn't going in the parents running races I'd always hide I'd always avoid them all that sort of thing and I really felt sorry for my girls when I look back on it 
And they always say to me, oh, Dad, we never worried about it. But I know that they got teased and ragged a bit about their dad being an obese guy, but they never ever told me, but I'm, I'm sure they did. Kids can be pretty cruel. So I think you're doing a really great service to your children as well. Let's talk about family networks, support, that sort of thing. You mentioned your husband there. Is he all on board with your lifestyle? He is amazing, really. He um, is one of those people that we talked about before that can just eat anything he likes. And, you know, um, his, his saying is you can't um, fatten a thoroughbred. <laughs> um, and has just, and, you know, and comes from a family who naturally are just thin, um, as opposed to me who comes from a family of, um, you know, people that have always struggled with their weight. Um, but he has been so supportive um, you know, doesn't question things at all, is being really encouraging along the way. Um, and, you know, one of my biggest supporters. Yeah. And the great thing is he loved you for whatever size you were. And, you know, I'm sure he's wrapped that, you know, you've lost all the weight and all that. But the, the important part is that he's loved you no matter what, sure, all that. And he's been supportive. And that's what a good husband does. And I say to any husband out there, get behind your wife if she wants to do this or any wife, get behind your husband because when you're both on the same page and you help each other and support each other, it makes this journey so much easier, that's for sure. But I'm going to wrap up the podcast soon, Kirsty. It's been great to talk to you today. But before we go, I want you to sort of give some advice to people who are just starting out out there, sort of what sort of they're lost, they're overweight, they're maybe obese and they just don't know what to do. They think the mountain's too high to climb. What can you tell them to help them get started? Believe in yourself. Um, you know, it sounds cliche and I don't know how many times I've kind of said this recently, but if I can do it, then so can you. Um, you know, I was a 130 kilo overweight, unhealthy, uh, unhappy person that just thought nothing could be done and, you know, learn, pave your path to success through slowly building knowledge and success and experiences and those non-scale victories that just keep you going because it is so, so worth it. And, you know, yes, I lost a lot of weight fast and that was an extra motivator for me because I wasn't sitting in those slumps of, of not experiencing the success. But whether it's fast or whether it's slow, all of those victories are still waiting for you at the end and it is so, so worth it and it feels so much better than anything tastes. But Kirsty, thank you for joining me here today. I thoroughly enjoyed this chat and I hope things improve there to Melbourne and to everybody in Victoria, uh, us here in Western Australia and right around Australia. We're all behind you. We're with you. We're all in this together. We hope things get better. But thank you for joining me here on the Fasting Highway. Thank you for having me, Graham, and congratulations to you and all that you do to share your message and, you know, all of the people that that your story and other stories that you're bringing to everybody else um, is helping others achieve. Um, you're doing a wonderful thing. Oh, thanks. It means a lot to me, Kirsty. You have a great day and good luck, everyone. Oh, thank you so much, Kirsty. Thoroughly enjoyed that chat with you. And I think you gave a really great insight into your journey and what a journey it's been. Quite incredible, that weight loss. It's absolutely amazing. 70 pounds in seven odd months. I wish everyone there in Melbourne uh, all the best. Um, Now the most locked down city in the world. Really, really hope that it all comes good for you guys. And um, thank you for joining us here today on the Fasting Highway. 
Uh, once again, folks, don't forget you can get my story uh, in my book, The Fasting Highway, on Amazon and both paperback and Kindle. Uh, thank you to those that have done so. Or if you're in Australia or New Zealand, you can get it from my website at www.thefastinghighway.com. Also, don't forget you can join the Fasting Highway Facebook group. A really good bunch of people in there. But anyway, until next week, be well, be safe, and remember, clean fasting is everlasting.